0: Log Talk Radio 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5,
1: 4, 3, 2, 1 The punching left crew will now begin Beaming their psychoanalytic mind-bending signal Into your brain at 14,888 MHz Please prepare yourself for 2 of One-way helicopter ride for communists Degenerate and cut.
2: The transvaluation of all values throughout the West, the invention of ever more victim groups, the spread of affirmative action programs, and the relentless promotion of political correctness has led to the rise of an anti-fascist mob, tacitly supported and indirectly funded by the ruling elites. This self-described mob of social justice warriors has taken upon itself the task of escalating the fight against white privilege through deliberate acts of terror directed against anyone and anything deemed racist, right-wing, fascist, reactionary, incorrigible or unreconstructed. Such enemies of progress are physically assaulted by the anti-anti-fascist mob Their cars are burned down, their properties are vandalized, and their employers are threatened to dismiss them and ruin their careers. All the while the police are ordered by the powers that be to stand down and not to investigate the crimes committed or persecute and punish the criminals. In view of this outrage, public anger must be aroused and there must be clamoring far and wide for the police to be unleashed and this mob beaten into submission. History is on our side. Let them call you racist. Let them call you xenophobes. Let them call you nativist. Wear it as a badge of honor, because every day we get stronger and they get weaker.
1: Rush the and the fascist mob.
3: Alright, so here we are again, Clifton Knox, David German, back with Punching Left for Season 2, Episode 3, and uh, how are you doing tonight, David? Alright, how are you? Doing good, and so uh, I just wanted to make sure that everybody uh, knows out there that, um, We are currently, of course, we're on Blog Talk Radio. That's our primary platform. But we're also on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, MyTuneIn Radio, Podchaser, and FM.Player. So you can get to us from any of these platforms uh, at at any time. Uh, Our episodes, usually after they air live, uh, they end up on those platforms available to listen to uh, as podcasts. So we have uh, a guest with us tonight uh, who... Uh, Is what I consider to be the main proponent and a a sort of a founding individual, uh, definitely uh, on on social media for the Meta Right. His name is uh, Kashif uh, Vikas. And uh, Kashif,
1: uh, how are you doing? Excellent, great. Uh, It seems like uh, Philadelphia almost caught a drizzle, but looks like we're in the clear. So I'm here walking just (laughs) off the edge of downtown. And uh, yeah, here's a.
3: so, so, I we're we're very interested in the meta right. Um, I've heard it referred to a lot of things. I've seen it. A lot of a lot of it's very. There's a lot of aesthetics involved here. One of our favorite philosophers has some has something to say about this. We David and I both love Nietzsche. Um, I've also seen the, and heard of the meta right referred to as the alt alt right. And I've heard the name Julius Evola thrown in there a few times. So, so maybe you could give us a, a rundown of, about yourself a little bit and then kind of tell us something about the, the – give us the basics of the meta-right.
1: Uh I got gotcha. you. Well, uh, thanks for the introduction. I, uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, I've, I've been cruising Facebook for a while now, especially uh, since uh, the rise of uh, kind of Donald Trump. I think it was something uh, very unexpected, kind of a black swan moment uh, in our society. Uh, around, uh, 2015, middle of 2015, I left Philadelphia late 2015 for, uh, San Francisco and, uh, ostensibly to, uh, work as a graphic designer. Uh, just before I had left, I guess, uh, Donald Trump had, uh, kind of announced his run. And, uh, I guess a lot of us would have been what you would call normies at the time. There was, uh, you know, he'd hear faint rumblings of a social justice kind of a, uh, a feud uh, maybe from Tumblr, some of the more uh, esoteric, uh, identi- left-identitarian blogs uh, with their uh, kind of uh, gender dichotomies, uh, more than a dichotomy. Uh, but, um, you know, it was not something that had kind of penetrated everyday consciousness. Uh, it, is, it is something, uh, you know, uh, painful. You know, it's something that's tough to remind everyone, but it does seem as if identitarianism in its current iteration Really was brought on to us by a left wing postmodernism. Uh, it's not something the right, uh, in its kind of more uh, enlightenment values, its kind of more classical virtues, especially right libertarianism, uh, it's not something it seeks to propound. Uh, it's not something that uh, it likes to play from the top of the deck. Uh, so I end up in San Francisco. Is that correct? Is that, uh, yeah, no, no. I'm laughing at okay.
3: the way you the way you phrase that. Go right ahead, go right ahead, please.
1: Right. Um, yeah. Say, I mean, it's just something you know. I grew up in a kind of a uh, pretty pretty German church, and uh, you know, Germans are very uh, a <clears throat> little bit reserved, and they they try not to judge people right away. It, it seems as if uh, every German unconsciously lives the values of a uh, German idealism, uh, and it's just uh, something you know. I knew that right libertarianism it, it seeks to. Kind of in the German mold again, also the inventors of Protestantism um, seeks to kind of, uh, I mean, there's, a, there's, you know, the, uh, you know, um, kind of follow the the values of uh, Prussian uh, Prussian virtues, uh, the Prussian uh, militia system. Uh, if you, there's uh, a good bit on Wikipedia about that, but um, you know, it's not something that uh, that the right embraces immediately i mean so to speak for their for the right to embrace it i mean it is quite literally it would be quite literally a reaction uh reactionary so to speak it would be a reaction to an external uh force or a push that that forces it to adopt such a uh, such a position uh, and uh i i went to san francisco to seek uh seek employment so to speak uh, in in the uh, in Silicon Valley in the tech arena, uh, specifically in graphic design. Uh, I end up there and, uh, you know, you end up on Facebook and, and Facebook at the time, I think had just entered the, uh, newsfeed kind of, uh, system. And, uh, you know, my feed is just full blown with, uh, with, uh, I guess, uh, kind of the left adopting uh, altruistic, you know, uh, very toxically altruistic position toward people who really Mm -hmm. aren't asking to be represented, but, you know, Marxists do it anyway. You know, I guess I would call myself a person of color. I, I don't like to make distinctions. Again, you know, we've been put into this system now where we have to, but I guess, you know, the leftists are saying, well, these people are marginalized, oppressed, underrepresented, you name it, and we represent them. And, well, if if we say you can't talk, then you can't talk. And, uh, you know, of course, our right is pushing back. And uh, more and more, uh, I began to run into this group called uh, the alt-right, uh, which I thought it was some sort of a, a made-up word. I didn't realize, you know, the significance uh, it had. Uh, and they were very intelligent. Uh, they were they were more well-versed in, uh, in the left-right dichotomy than uh, anyone I had Meant uh, prior to my other than myself. Um, for example, you know, you would say you would talk about socialism to them, and they instantly knew, you know, that it was not necessarily left wing. Because one of the issues in speaking with American conservatives, you talk about things like socialism, uh, national unity, and they, they immediately think it's, it's a left wing position. Uh,
3: well, know, well be i part of
1: a community. If
3: I just want to interject there real quick, if you don't mind. Um, I will say this. From David and I's position, we are very much uh, capitalists, and we are very much right. traditionalists. Uh, and so everybody right. is to the left of us. We, we, see, we, see, right. we see national socialism as being to the left of us.
1: Understood. Yeah, go ahead. Understood. Go ahead. Would, you, yeah, would you call yourself national capitalists, per se, or uh, uh, minar- maybe, maybe monarcho-minarchists? Okay. Maybe. Maybe. I got you. We're, we're I definitely, been, yeah. definitely,
3: mon- we're we're monarchists. We're we're, we're we are um, ultra monarchist monarchists. So that's what I would call it. Wouldn't you? And that's what that's what kind of what David uses as well because we're yeah. we straddle that fence between ana- right wing anarcho capitalism mm-hmm. and and, yeah. and minimal monarchism, unconstitutional
0: monarchism. And, and, and there's a of course an obvious link to. Um, Hans Hoppe there.
3: Right, he is one of the fathers the, the founding fathers of the Dark Enlightenment. Uh, uh, Curtis Yarvin yeah. and him are good friends and and uh, Curtis based a lot of his work Mentius Moldbug based a lot of his work on Hoppe. But, but go I'm sorry, go, go ahead, Vicus. I mean uh Kashif Go ahead,
1: please sir. No, I have you. Cool. So, uh, David, you've uh, kind of had extensive interactions with uh with with uh, Moldbug, is it? Or uh, you've uh, well I, I, you're saying you're, I
3: i've probably done a little more reading of moldbug but but david's
1: very yeah. very well
3: versed in Hoppe.
1: nice yeah. nice nice so cool um got it got it so i began to talk on and off with the with the alt right and at the time end of 2015 um as you know the alt right was much more libertarian uh it was not a, it was not a term that that national socialists had fully adopted, and it was it was it was very clearly post libertarian, and uh, they they had basically realized that there were some issues, uh, there were some lingering issues on the right that had not fully been resolved, and it allowed the left to kind of capitalize on uh, on some of the more Greek, you can say identitarian grievances of uh, of minorities, and, and basically anyone who had a who was not you know, who did not fit the fit the fit the archetype of, of a straight white male. And uh, I began to see like this was not this is not gonna be anything that was good for uh for anyone. Uh and I I could quickly see, you know, Western civilization going the way of uh of South Africa, uh in a very short manner of matter of time. And uh I was like, oh boy um, because it, it seemed to me as if uh, you know having spent <laughs> uh, ha- having spent some time in Marxism and really kind of seeing it as a maybe a, a legitimate critique of christianity uh, I mean there is something to be said about how we how we kind of create our own value systems based on where we stand in the economy and how we can create our own structures of truth based on like if we're workers if we're if we control the money, if we're, you know, if you're an IT manager, uh, I think, I think Marx can be taken very, uh, his point is valid there. Uh, I began to see postmodernism as having betrayed uh, its, uh, its kind of moral roots and it had been basically taken over uh, by the plebs, so to speak. Uh, In other words, Rather than uh, actually kind of uh, speaking to the more uh, the more enlightened uh, virtues, uh, it, it was definitely going for uh, going for broke. It was going for it was going to the bottom of the barrel, uh, and uh, you know, of course, uh, ethnic solidarity or I mean, whatever you want to call it, uh, it shares a very intersubjective relationship with uh, ethnic ethnic ethno nationalism. I mean, it was it was at some point in 2016, it was getting harder and harder to tell: is this Black Lives Matter or this this marginalized group movement? Is, it, is this is this a legitimate civil is this a civil rights movement or is this an ethno-nationalist movement? Because uh, you know, between the safe spaces and a bunch of other things, uh, it seemed as if the uh, the, the free, you know free speech was being considered now a, a privilege uh, you know, based on your if you're if you're from this group, well you're not allowed to talk. If you're from that group, you are allowed to talk. And uh it seemed to be a very uh a very kind of uh uh it seemed to have uh postmodernism seemed to have lost the mm-hmm. sort of uh the essence of representation, uh by just arbitrarily deciding who can speak or who cannot speak uh based on their skin color. So uh, I think
3: I think if so, you look at some of the, if you if you look at Marc Marcusa and yeah. some of the other people, um, mm-hmm. I, I would have to say that if you, if you take a look at, at most of the critical theorists, even the existentialists, I, even though it, to a certain degree they advocated a lot of this, um, I, I'm not sure that they thought it would go to this point that it would look like this thirty or forty years later.
1: Right, exactly, and I have had the privilege of because uh, uh, not being formally, not yet anyway, not being uh, formally uh, trained in philosophy, I haven't studied it formally in any uh, university, but I have had the privilege of researching uh, postmodernism and its roots, its spiritual roots. The last three months, uh, again, more from mainstream sources, uh, postmodernism in its own words, so to speak. Uh, it, it was a, ve- it was a very spiritual critique of uh, postmodern of uh, Marxism. Uh, Horkheimer and some of the other critical theorists were uh, very critical of historical materialism and some of uh, Marx's more uh, industrial ideas. Some of his ideas regarding uh, uh, industry. Uh, However, you know, once the plebs take over, uh, monarchy. I mean, postmodernism wasn't it supposed to be pleb-proof? Kind of like, kind of like, kind of analogous to the constitution. Um, once you start to see that they once once you start to see that they can even ruin uh, postmodernism, uh, which uh, which has a very uh, some of the artistic work is, is very it's garish but it's garish in a very haunting way. I mean it has some uh, there's some there's there's uh, there's real uh, illusion here. There's there's uh, there's uh, so to speak it's a, it's a very mature take on uh, magical realism. Uh, and uh, the neo-noir elements of the 1950s, uh, but once I begin, once you begin to see the way the plebs can ruin even postmodernism, which was supposed to be, uh, I guess, anti-fragile, um, monarchy begins to look really, really good. Um, I mean, while well, techno-monarchy, some sort of a, uh, yeah, what you were saying about minimal monarchy, uh, some sort of. Mm-hmm. A, I'm not sure, uh, you know, are you, are, are you familiar with, uh, if, you're, if you have a desktop handy, it uh, wouldn't hurt to open a tab, but there's a theory by, uh, by an Israeli political scientist. His name was uh, Jacob Lieb Talman. Jacob, of course, and then L-I-E-B Talman, T-A-L-M-O-N. Uh, he made an idea called a totalitarian democracy. Uh, and it was just this idea that uh, far into the future, he was a very much a big, Okay, so being he was a newly minted Israeli citizen. Uh, Israel, Israel was just five years in, and he realized uh, because prior to the creation of Israel, uh, his primary identity would have been German, and uh, he knew that um, this was a, a very unique moment in history, uh, because for the first time, a, a, a whole bunch of European expatriates, uh, you know, you know, take you know, which uh, you know, who had the primary identity of European, you know, even though yes, they had the Jewish religion and, you know, there are some uh, kind of tribe attributes with that, you know, because, you know, you have a religion, you intermarry uh, amongst yourself, Uh, you know, had uh, a whole bunch of European expatriates had had, uh, reappeared in their spiritual kind of land. Uh, He wanted to know, you know, well, what was the meaning of Israel? Uh, He wrote a book called Israel Among the Nations. Uh, And uh, later in his career, he actually began to... uh, criticized the work of Rousseau, especially the work of uh, General Will. Uh, so Rousseau had this idea of General Will. Well,
3: David and I do a lot of mm-hmm. discussions outside the show between us. We've, we've discussed General Will. We actually discuss a lot of philosophical concepts. And just to, just to step back for a moment, you're talking about the postmodern criticism of Christianity. Okay. Uh, one of the things that David and I have, have talked about in particular is we we, we are very strong. Uh, we, we feel very strongly about Nietzsche's uh, concept of slave and master morality, and, and we both of us. And I I, I feel like that uh, the problem with Christianity as it is now, the last 150 to 200 years, is that it's afflicted just like Judaism with a very strong dose of slave morality and communism as well. Um, this is the kind of idea where, where being essentially, when when you talk to a lot of people, uh, they, they feel that um, the meek shall inherit the earth. If you if you go back a few episodes on our podcast, you'll see an episode with Dr. Stephen Hicks. He's a Nietzsche scholar who did an extensive uh, um, dissertation on Nietzsche and, and his relationship with the National Socialists. About a three and a half hour lecture that was available for through Netflix for a while, but you can you can find it right. anyway. It's been turned into a book. But anyway, so that, that's our take on it, and and so well, our problem is with modern Christianity. We we don't have a problem with older Christianity because we feel that it didn't suffer from some of the same issues uh, that, at, yeah. at least as a whole, that Christianity suffers from today. Wouldn't you say that's probably? Would you agree with that, David? You said it's probably well, get that probably right, didn't I?
0: I think that the uh, Marxist um, have uh, infiltrated. Major institutions and have Injected them with slave morality Yeah
3: And so and I think that's a, That's a good point so the, uh, the School systems the a- academia Our government um, is Slave morality right. you know that whole idea Of um, uh, That the poor are automatically ethically or morally Superior to the rich That infallible that uh, Yeah the working class is Infallible the proletariat The international proletariat right. is is the ultimate penultimate? Uh, you know, they should rule. Uh, people should be in control of. You know, the, the the as you mentioned, as you called them, the plebs should control things and should make all the decisions through some sort of massive democracy. Democracy itself, we see as a as a form of slave morality and actually a form of communism. So we have this whole. We we I guess I guess he and I have almost built this whole theory around it, and what we've come down to is that the slave morality. Uh, it's penultimate representation is really in uh, people presenting themselves as being centrists Uh, because centrists don't actually take a position and they, they they're meek. They will, you know, typically they're either, they either have, but what we find is that in in reality, even though they try to present this as some sort of great wisdom being in the center, being, being, being in the middle, not taking either side, straddling the fence. Well, I see some value in your position and I see some value in your (laughs) position on the other side. They never actually take a choice, so we feel that that's either basically somebody without a backbone, someone who's weak, or uh, they have an agenda like a politician who is essentially trying to find the middle point and everything uh, and it's because they're trying to appeal to the most people and offend the least amount of people. And so even politically correct speech falls back on that. So we actually have more problems with people who try to put themselves in the center often than we do with people <laughs> on the left because at least the people on the left are honest about what they what they believe in and how they feel. Now, right. Don't get me wrong. The left are still our enemies. <laughs> However, right. we don't like them. We, we dislike them very much, but we respect them more than people who try to stand in the center. So we, we've, right. we've come to the point to where we think the, probably the single biggest problem with our society today – is is a, mm-hmm. is a form of Nietzsche what Nietzsche analyzed psychologically as slave morality, but but anyway. Like, I, um, so i the. Go ahead, David.
0: It, yeah, like Molly knew was saying, um, the left um, nowadays has more integrity than the right.
3: Often they do. And I believe the alt right. Is a uh, is a change in that I believe exactly. the alt right is a group on the right who have who have more integrity and, uh, and are committed in a way that the left has been committed for a very long time. But uh, uh, Kashif, so so uh, the meta right, what do you consider to be the primary elements that that mm-hmm. defines the idea of the meta
1: right? Okay, uh, good question by. Um, um, good question. So I, uh, you know, I, I assume you've been in kind of the alt altosphere for a while, you know, seen a few characters. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. it, uh, it arose from an exchange with many, many different people. Um, you know, things have become so kind of tense on Facebook in, in early 2016 uh, that I spent nearly all day, every day kind of discussing uh, philosophy and politics and uh, social science. The limits of social science and its uh, analytical methods, with uh, members of the alt right and, mem- and, most importantly, people in the post libertarian uh, right, uh, or just broader post libertarianism. Um, an idea I came across very kind of uh, fundamental or very uh, emergent should be a better word. Uh, was this idea? Because if you're studying political science, you you know you often don't learn the philosophy underpinning these ideas. Because philosophy can be so kind of um, obscure, uh, so kind of esoteric in comparison to political science, which is a little more, you can make, you can make uh, anecdotal examples of political ideas. It's harder to do that with philosophy. Um, I came across a, a thinker, not always popular. She's very, uh, she's very controversial. She's very uh, kind of a lightning rod, mercurial uh, in, in the alt sphere. Uh, and, uh, she, you know, her name is Jennifer Scharf. Maybe I shouldn't name-drop that because uh, people, uh, people have instant opinions, uh, but she runs a blog mm-hmm. called uh, Church of Entropy, which is not necessarily readable. It can be very kind of uh, obfuscative, and people have called her uh, schizophrenic, uh, just in, in metaphorically, but her work can come across as very uh, kind of clashing uh internally, self clashing. I've,
3: I've actually uh, she, I've actually heard of her by the way. No, I'm just letting you know I've actually
1: <laughs> heard of her. I oh, gotcha. I think gotcha. you guys. Yeah, so, she started yeah. yeah, she started out as an article capitalist, uh went to national socialist, which was common in the alt right in twenty sixteen. Then went into uh she's now into I guess uh vaguely something that could be called broadly maybe hint uh Hindu nationalism or Indo-Aryanism again uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit little bit uh you know she's a yoga teacher but in her real life she was a she was a a an audiologist uh with an extensive background in uh physics and mathematics uh she could be called a physicist that was her uh that was her under, and a very good one uh, and uh that was her formal training uh and so She relayed to me an idea when I encountered her. At that time, she was kind of in her uh, anarcho-capitalist come national socialist stage, Uh, so she was kind of straddling the line. Um, She relayed to me a very emergent idea, and that was uh, she told me that, uh, well, first of all, I had already been developing the idea that politics is in fact downstream from uh, culture, and I had actually honed in on this idea that what if what if each political theory is actually a theory of aesthetic? Uh, and this idea really intrigued me because, you know, the alt-right came on the scene and they had their own aesthetics, uh, their kind of post-ironic memes, uh, you know, and then uh, retro-wave, retro-futurism, wave made an entry. Uh, there were a few other kind of uh, – Memes going around, and I was very intrigued with this idea of uh, aesthetics as being a little uh, upstream from, uh, from, in other words, political theory as emergent from uh, from an aesthetic. Uh, and when I ran into her, um, kind of without, without again without a background in philosophy, she, uh, her, her, it was pure uh, Hinduism and mathematics for her, pure Hinduism and physics. And she told me flatly that. Uh, that political theory is, in fact, uh, a, a frame of consciousness, uh, and it's one of those ideas that's so. Uh,
2: well, well, one of the things I so, will
1: point out, real quick, is that is yeah. that political science
3: is really, honestly, a very specialized form of sociology. So it, right. it really is um, cultural. <laughs> I mean, the culture is is what affects it. But it's just it's just right. a little more specialized. And David and I have talked, and I actually see economics and political theory the flip side of the same coin in that regard. So if you if you look at where we come from on this uh, on this issue, we feel that uh, what Hoppe said in in one of the spe- is a speech that I had an excerpt in our intro from, is that on on economics, the libertarians get it right, the the anarcho capitalist, the Austrian school side gets it right. However. They're missing a critical component, which is the cultural aspect. And on that side, the alt right gets it right. And that libertarians had something to learn from the alt right, but that the alt right also had something to learn from libertarians in that in the economics regard. So
1: but go ahead. No, no, well said, well said. Believe it or not, you're actually describing me from ten years ago, uh kind of when I kind of left Christianity, uh, just because I wanted to be quote unquote uh fair to everyone, because at the time uh A lot of these gay rights measures were coming out. Their stories were being told in the media. And, you know, my church was so uh, fundamentalist that I I wanted to advocate for everyone. Again, kind of carrying into that post-Enlightenment, the Enlightenment theme uh, of uh, uh, judging people by their character, not their group affiliation. Of course, that would be the quaint 2000s at this point. And uh, uh, at the time... In my kind of leftism and my exploration of Marxism, I was very, very into boiling. You know, you're, saying, you're talking about politics, political theory, and, 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 and uh, social science being kind of the flip side of the same coin. Um, at the time, I was very obsessed with, uh, with turning uh, political theory into, into economics. In other words, I thought that all political theories could be explained formalistically. Uh, in terms of economic theory, so I, of course I was look pretty look common in,
3: thing, pretty common thing for right. a lot of a lot of libertarian slash
1: anarcho capitalists. Go ahead. E- exactly, exactly. I wanted, in other words, I would try to fuse social science and economics. So I thought there was there were some things in economics maybe that hadn't been invented yet that could explain that could explain uh, you know issues in social science, and then we could. Uh, you know, make this kind of grand political theory of everything, uh, you know, kind of, uh, heal the left, right divide. Of course, at that time, you know, think about the internet, it was internet 2.0. So you imagine like, uh, my space and, and how, how the internet was back then <laughs> deviant art. It's it's very, very, uh, and everyone had those silly, uh, razor phones. So there was no internet everywhere. There was no smartphone. And, uh, Again, very, very quaint, but uh, not that long ago. Uh, and uh, so what happened is kind of in the early 2010s, you could say, was it maybe 2009? I uh, feel like a good two or three years of, of full-time research into this, kind of in, my, kind of, uh, in the Marxist enlightenment stage, uh, Something turned in 2009 and began to kind of really kind of self-actualize starting in like 2012, uh, at, you know, in, in which I had no, no, no incentive to leave the left because, uh, you know, I, 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 that was all I had. Uh, I began to realize that uh, formalism, formal representation uh, has limits, meaning there uh, are things that economics cannot describe. There are, uh, in other words, and which by extension meant that social science was limited, and uh, which meant that, you know, was I kept hitting walls that I, I knew to be false, but I had no way to, uh, to, uh, to go through them. Uh, in other words, uh, they were kind of, uh, you know, they were obviously with the left, uh, the left was definitely less uh, sensorial uh, or uh, sensorial, I'm not sure the word, but they, they, they were definitely. Less into censorship 10 years ago uh, And so mm-hmm. But even at the time there were, there were certain things You couldn't question uh, With left libertarianism Even 10 years ago there were some things You don't question with left libertarianism Or you know they, they maybe Won't be your friend anymore So you know I kept, Right you, get, you, I get, you get ejected from the group You get ejected from the group Right right exactly And, and, and you know I'm beginning to know there's a pattern here That there's certain things there's certain aspects of the, uh, the kind of analytical toolkit that you don't question. Uh, and, uh, you know, when I met Jennifer Scharf, I began to wonder, if, what, if, what if language is really at the root of uh, reality for liberals? In other words, there are people on the, on the left for whom language creates reality, uh, whereas on the right, especially with my, my interactions with uh, the alt-right, you know, it, it would be because basically the alt right, I began to see kind of the right wing in its id form, meaning stripped of Christianity, stripped of, stripped of all these kind of qualifiers. What is the right really? And I began to see it more and more the right wing as a, as a, as a group of people that view aesthetics uh, as, cre- as creating reality. Uh, mm-hmm. And from there. From there, I began to, uh, you know, after, inter- after kind of intersecting with Jennifer Sharp, I began to say, well, uh, if political theory is downstream from consciousness itself, I said, well, let me uh, let me research, let me research all the theories of, you know, if, if, if I'm really studying political theory, uh, I'm really actually researching, without knowing it, I'm really researching an, an implicit theory of consciousness. So, from there, I began to kind of uh that that was my entry into philosophy. that was my gateway um it was, uh okay. I had to kind of yeah nail these philosophers down and what their theories of course, it all begins with uh Descartes right um the, it was sure I think sure I, yeah so i i think prior to Descartes or what we would call a uh, uh Classical philosophy or pre-modern philosophy, because Descartes would be the founding father of modern philosophy uh, or materialism. Uh, I think that uh, consciousness uh, would have been uh, thought. Uh, there are various terms, but you can call it uh, vitalism, essentialism, uh, elementalism. Uh, you know, there's no well, clear. Well, uh, there's. N- yeah.
3: Well, with, with Descartes. I would almost say that he would fall more in line with dualism—the idea that, that the mind and body are separate, and and that uh, the, the and that's really there were a lot of problems wrapped around that because they couldn't figure out how it was that you could think something and make material make yeah. something material like your body actually move. They had a lot of really strange ideas about that whole that whole thing, but but basically, yeah, and, and so you know, modern in, in today's time, most people even today have a tendency to oh. think in terms that the mind and the body are separate from each other. So and, and right. that, and that right. in itself caused a lot of problems. Um, uh, David, before we go forward, do you have any questions that you would like to ask uh, Kasha for any points that you want to make?
0: Um, can't think of anything right now.
3: Just off the top of your head. Okay.
1: Go ahead. Go ahead, Kasha. Go. Please, please continue. Oh. No, that's fine. It's, uh, you know, as long as we're uh, on the same page. Uh, just curious, David, I, I saw the page named after you, you know, when I was on Facebook. It says Punching Left with uh, David German. You don't know mind asking, uh, what do you do? I mean, in politics, you might, you know, it's, it's like once you know the person's uh, kind of a mode of living or what they do, it's a mode of production, as Marx would say, you can know a little bit about kind of how they uh, reason. Uh, it can be, can be helpful. Uh, just curious, if you don't mind. Um. Oh, like what? What do I do for a living? Yeah,
0: yeah. I I work retail.
1: Yeah. Oh, retail. Okay, well, okay. that's but I I,
3: po- Hey, I but go, I will point out. I, well, I would point out that David, you were in management
0: for a little while, and
3: you voluntarily decided to step out of management. So that yeah. he he, yeah. he has, he has been in management at, at one point for for. Oh yeah. Many for years, for a few years, so.
1: No, no, that's fine. I just yeah, it's just I just was curious. I, I I guess you you're closer in age to me than uh than Cliff would be. Uh I'm 34 roughly. and going on uh going on 35 and uh yeah, I I kind of did uh, uh took a similar route. I uh I used to go to an Ivy League school. Uh kind of had some issues with postmodernism. This is like 10 years ago. Dropped out. I'd work any job I could find. I just began to realize that there was a, a data insurgence coming. Uh, you can see it in IT, which is kind of Cliff's area. And I began to realize mm-hmm. that the people on the front lines of the economy had a little more inkling of what was going to happen to our culture. Because 10 years ago, 10, 15, it was all banking. You know, that was the Bush economy. That was the uh, Bush era economy. And I kind of was like, I'd better uh, get the hell out of here before it all comes down. Because I could see that right-wing <laughs> worker revolution coming. I could, oh, I could see it coming. I kind of, again, from a humble background, I mean, I went to the Ivy, there was, I mean, at the time, actually, Ivanka Trump was attending, and, you know, she'd be on campus. So I was on campus with a lot of people who I really couldn't relate to socially. So, you know, if there was no class, I'd be by myself, I'd go home, I lived, I lived in Philadelphia. So in other words, for these people, it was just in Philadelphia, was a uh, international destination. They could be from anywhere. But for me it was uh it was home. And uh I'd just mm. go home after class. Uh, so, yeah and I I know Philadelphia. I
3: I lived there for a little while. Uh in in, a, in an earlier version of myself for I guess for a good four years uh I was uh, I got you. I did, was an artist. I was an artist for a while. Oh. And uh oh, worked that- on music and sound and stuff. So and and, and then oh. I decided that I began to gravitate more towards
1: technology over time. No, so. I, I have, and and you do see you you do see that a lot in the alt uh, engineers with a design background. Uh, I call mm-hmm. them uh, design-oriented engineers. Uh, there's, there's no other term right now. Um, you you would not have lived here in the David Lynch era, right? He he describes his time in Philadelphia in the '70s as basically haunting. No, and it influenced no, the I was there...
3: there. I was there in the very latest late eighties, early nineties um oh, and oh wow uh, a, a, yeah, so a good friend of mine I still have a good friend that actually lives in Philadelphia still, and he's he has a yeah. a, a large d j business but um is just an interesting place I, we had a lot of there's a lot there was at the time there was a lot of interesting people there. The thing about Philadelphia is in the yeah. winter for me anyway, it seemed like yeah. it was one of the darkest, yeah. coldest places I remember, but anyway, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean being, yeah, and, and right being alone that, there, so, you know. So I'll just yeah. say being alone there would be would be rough in the wintertime, I would think.
1: It it would be. Oh, it would be, yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a very uh it used so it used to be a German and British town in the forties, but by the time you were there it had become very Irish. It was basically Irish An Italian. and I think uh Yeah, exactly. The uh, Italians had their enclaves. It was Irish and small enclaves of Italians and then uh, black. They had the uh, North Philadelphia German town and uh, and uh, I know I know the Latins moved in around the '70s. Puerto Ricans. They, they briefly had riots in the '70s over some issue or another. I forget. That's close to the elevated train. If you still remember uh, the the Puerto Rican neighborhoods? They they're always uh, close to the elevated train. That kind of uh, runs in a kind of a U shape right. around Philadelphia. So uh, well, you
3: mentioned something so, well, you mentioned something to me in in a conversation that we were kind of having uh, over social media the other day you, you mentioned hyper
1: reality um, can, right. can you elaborate
3: on that a little bit
1: what it uh, is. absolutely absolutely yeah no that's a that's a great segue out of uh out of postmodernism out of our discussion so um basically the issue with uh with postmodernism is that it was a critique of marx. Uh, and I think a lot of right-wingers don't realize that. Of course, uh, those that have a formal degree do. uh, and To a certain extent, they were really hammering Marx. But basically, the the idea is that uh, they switched from this idea of modes of production. So Marx said, you know, there's workers, there's capitalists, there's uh," Uh, postmodernism. Instead of modes of production, postmodernism brought this idea that everyone is a consumer, which was kind of a very smart kind of a, a twist. And they said, well, you know, you're in, you're in a capitalist society. You're a consumer. And so they brought this idea of media, uh, mass media. So around the time that postmodernism was developing, uh, pop culture, um, well, actually not even pop culture. That would be more 80s. But uh, mass media, meaning uh, mass, mass television, mass media was developing as uh, a as a sort of a medium for, a paradigm for understanding culture. Uh, And it actually coincides with the rise of, uh, with the development of postmodernism. In other words, as mass media is congealing, self-actualizing, postmodernism is uh, looking at it and then looking back at itself and then just reifying. Uh, So they came up with this idea that what if, uh, you know, the way we understand ourselves, the way the individual understands himself in relation to the broader culture has to do with the type of media he's consuming. So they would think about back when Marx, you know, it was probably pen and paper, books mostly. You know, if you had the money, you could attend a theater, uh, maybe the circus. But by the time postmodernism came around, well, you had you had mass media, you had television. Uh, the issue with uh, hyper reality, uh, as it may, which uh, kind of disrupts post reality, uh, is that. Uh, each individual account, say, say a Facebook page or a, or a GIF, uh, which is the correct pronunciation, some people say GIF, uh, or a YouTube, uh, becomes a, uh, a medium in itself. So in other words, like uh, maybe 20 years ago where everyone saw the uh, Mike Tyson fight or everyone watched yester- yesterday's episode of X-Files, that era of uh, kind of... Uh, uh unity in ironic existentialism uh dies and instead uh we become in other words mass media dies and we become our own channels so i'm living my life i document it on facebook and uh, you go to my account and that's a channel or i have a youtube account um it is a it, in other words uh instead of mass media you have the idea of medium in itself so um, sure. you understand yeah yeah so i mean like for example you, you talk to the older people like before postmodernism like people that grew up in the 40s and 50s they're like and life was great back then we had just three channels and everyone watched the same thing and uh, you know they love it because there's a uh, there's togetherness and then you know when mtv sure. came out oh 700 channels there's no unity <laughs> But uh, yet, you know, postmodernism united us. We were united in, in the 80s and 90s. We were united in, in mass media, in popular culture, uh, especially with the fall of the Soviet Union, which really kind of put America, uh, kind of gave America ascendance on the, on, on the, on the culture, world culture stage. Um, so the idea is For, that uh, in hyper – go ahead.
3: Well, I was going to say, David and I have talked about some of this before, um and one of the right. things that i think if i remember right that we'd talked about was that um uh-huh. we talked about the difference now that that essentially you, there is no way really for the media to to steer any narratives hardly anymore and and the media didn't realize right. it and i think their their ability to do it Really, sort of started coming to an end at the end of Bush's, you know, Bush's second term, uh, the second Bush, right. and they didn't realize that that it, that it was beginning. Their ability to do this had they really lost their ability to to effectively steer things, say eighty to ninety percent of the time, and that's the and so what you see is you see that Barack Obama was elected, but they started talking. People were talking about how much the internet played in that, and I think when Donald Trump came along. The narrative was so much yeah. against him in the media, and they just knew that, that yeah. he wasn't going to get elected because the media was aligned against him. That when
1: right. he
3: got right. elected, the freakout that yeah. they experienced isn't necessarily about the fact that Donald Trump really got elected. It's that they right. failed to steer people away from him, and they realized that they've lost right. control. Right. I, I have a sense of the right. fact that probably most of the hysteria that you're seeing in, in, out there – is caused by the fact they're trying to reestablish control over the populace, and they're not sure if it's working or not. And so now they've rolled to social media to try and help them. But I don't know that it's still working, so I don't know. David, do you remember some of those discussions that we've had regarding this topic? You with us still, David, or we lose you?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. Uh, what, what, uh, was, you remember, what was the
3: question? Do you remember some of the discussions that we were having about how the, the the mainstream media sort of were losing control of of being able to the narrative as far as culture and and uh, groupthink? They they sort of lost control of of the United States as a culture. They're unable to steer people to vote the way they want, to buy what they want, to to think the way that they want. You and I have had several discussions on that. Um and he yeah, was just talking yeah. about the the fact that we're all sort of individualized now. There is no over
2: there's no way for the
3: media to really control things because every single person out there is essentially a channel of and to himself and that's really kind of what hyper hyper reality is. Do you have any thoughts about that, David? Mm. I mean about yeah, as far as the, uh, how
0: that go ahead. Um uh, Yeah, it's just uh, the result of I think of this hyper individualism
3: that's happening do you think that you think do you think that this is feeding somewhat feeds some of the hyper individualism that you see on the left
0: oh yes yes uh, of course okay
3: so so kashif when we when david says hyper individualism are you familiar with that term i'm sorry are you familiar with the when David? We were talking about hyper reality, the idea which you were talking about that each person is sort of a channel of, of and to themselves. You know that the right. mainstream media really can't control what we think or see or do anymore. It's very difficult for them to, and we don't have that. Like you were mentioning that togetherness, where there was maybe you know a handful of radio, radio, and TV stations, and everything was fed to us on those those just very small amount of platforms. And David brought a, a point up that. Um, one of the problems with the new left and with libertarianism – it's a its a massive flaw. of right. libertarianism – is hyper-individualism. Uh, the idea right. that, that they've, they've completely blown off the group. For instance, you can't well, – I'll give you an example, and, and I okay. really dislike this guy. I, I don't know what you're saying, but Larkin fucking Rose gets on my fucking nerves, and I'll tell you why. Uh, he, he bothers okay. me because he he uh, he, he preach anything that you talk about the it, oh that's collectivist yeah. that's collectivist almost as though it's an evil sin, and I mean he fails to realize that it's not it's not forced it's not collectivism that's the problem it's forced collectivism right. and and voluntary right. collectivism is okay well so so that's, right. that is a huge flaw in the anarcho, anarcho- capitalist right. community is they harp and harp on collectivism all the time instead of harping on forced collectivism. So so one of the things yeah. of hyper individualism is that they don't they refuse to see any sort of collective at all, even when they're voluntary collectives. And they, they right. basically right. are almost autistic on the issue. And all they want to talk about is the individual, to the point of almost I mean right. this is why this is the type of thinking on the left as well in many ways uh, and the thinking with uh, these the, a lot of the anarcho-capitalists, this is where you start to see a breakdown of society is hyper-individualism, and that's kind of the point he, right. was, he was trying to bring up, and it, I think it plays well into yeah. your, your discussion
1: of hyper-reality. Yeah. Well, absolutely, and uh, to be honest, like I said, again, a lot of these leftists are kind of a uh, you know, pleb, uh, pleb-level mindset, plebeian-level mindset, but… If you really look at some of the real kind of aristocrats of postmodernism, and one person actually that the alt right loves to quote and very apt here is uh, David Foster Wallace from the uh, from the 1990s. Now he was a not a philosopher per se; uh, he was a, actually an in, uh, professor of English literature, I believe it was at UC Santa Cruz or one of the uh, the UC universities. Uh, he basically wrote a lot about of like uh, Jacob lead Talman before him uh, who Jacob who had uh, dr. Talman who had written about kind of the general will as actually a segue into uh, pure totalitarianism uh, David Foster Wallace uh, this kind of a professor of uh, English literature I can't recall the university at the moment uh, he actually wrote extensively in the 90s about this idea that uh, he actually died in the, uh, in the late 2000s just when he was most needed Uh, He wrote extensively about satire, uh, especially satire uh, originally from the uh, uh, French Revolution. Uh, Well, I'm not sure if he specifically referenced that, but this idea that satire is fundamentally right wing and that if if the left continued to mock to mock uh, kind of a sincere Christianity or any sincerity, he he targeted not only MTV, but just uh, postmodern culture in general. He warned about postmodernism turning into uh, pure fascism because he – this idea, especially if you go deeper and deeper into a kind of English literature, which which could be considered some sort of a subspecialty of philosophy if you want to kind of posit it that way. Well, uh, well
3: continental yeah. philosophy is primarily a literary movement. Yeah. Um, yeah. You look at guys right. like Albert Camus, Sartre, and um, – Nietzsche. Right. All these guys—they're all right. literary.
1: They're all primary literary people. And right, and, uh, so I mean, if you think of Nietzsche's ter, uh, phrase, if you look at the abyss long enough, the uh, the abyss will stare uh, will stare into you. So David Foster Wallace, a, a very left wing professor, warned that if the left went too far with satire, I mean, you can imagine like, uh, you know, John Stewart in the 2000s, and you have a few other characters who really really made fun of a lot of America's kind of uh, Christian heritage. And, well, not, you know, I mean, Christianity was always brought on the chopping block for the left, but they had some other issues that he warned that if the left continued, specifically postmodernism, continued with satire, his, uh, his kind of uh, work could be summed up as if you, uh, if, you, if you look at satire long enough, if you, use, you know, satire will look back at you. In other words, this idea mm-hmm. of uh, he kind of predicted he kind of predicted he predicted post irony. This idea of irony as uh, self-conscious uh, or meta. In other words, irony becoming its own own meta state, its own medium. And uh, again, mm-hmm. again, predicting the memes. He died before meme. He died in two thousand eight before memes ever became uh, self-actual. And uh, mm-hmm. this idea of irony as, as a medium. And he warned that uh, postmodernism itself, uh, starting from what, because his best work was done in 1994 uh, and 1995, he, he predicted that if, if postmodernism continued with its, with its mockery and satire of everything sacred, without any context, uh, <clears throat> it would lead straight into, uh, into he, he has this phrase, uh, and it's attributed to him, he says that, uh, Boredom and hip on we. So he, again, he doesn't have the term hipster at his disposal because he's from 20 years ago. Uh, this is directly from his uh, from his quote is directly attributable to him. Boredom and hip on we are very totalitarian. So this idea of a, of a bored teenager uh, on the internet, or or just anyone who's uh, either a either jobless or finds that they can no longer find a job. Uh, based on their intelligence uh, and just uh, uh, entering the stage of hyper-reality where irony has become its own medium, uh, where irony is kind of turning to face itself, becoming self-conscious. He he called it totalitarianism, and he saw postmodernism headed that way in the 90s. Uh, Well,
3: David and uh, and I have done another discussion about postmodernism, And while we're very much we very much disagree with um, with Marcusa, Horkheimer, Fromm, and Adorno, and all of those guys, uh, Arendt, and so on, and even a lot of most of the existentialists, we do, however, find that their tools are extremely useful. So, so we we essentially work to use their tools. Against the left, as opposed to, and, and so we're not willing to abandon the tools just because we disagree with the people who created them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and David, uh, David, you you had uh, some interesting stuff that you went through where you were using uh, some some modes of deconstruction on some different people during some debates, and, and it, it kind of caused some fits, didn't it? Are you there? Are you with us, David? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Did you hear what I said? No. I said that you – we were talking yeah. about uh, some of the tools that postmodern uses, and what I said is that you had had some instances where you had actually used uh, a little bit of psychoanalysis and, and some some of the deconstruction tools in some debates with some people and sort of reconstructed arguments in such a way that they were pointed back at them, which I do as well. We sort of uh, reconstruct the argument, their own arguments in such a way as to point out their hypocrisy or their irony, as you, as you made Oh we go. And that's a lot of what the, the meme stuff was, I think, is that you see them actually th- – those are – they're almost like they're using using the left's own methodologies against right. them in a lot of ways. Right. I, I don't know if that's something that's still going on as a current in the alt-right, but I definitely saw right. it uh, heavily early on.
1: So. Yeah, but, it was uh, very – got... uh, right.
3: Go right. ahead. Go ahead,
1: Kashif. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, I think the term that postmodernism would call it, what the alt-right did, I think there's a term for that, that they have just a very broad, it's called culture jamming. I think culture, uh, mm-hmm. uh, culture jamming means yeah, you, just, you just take what they made, you flip it, and all of a sudden it means something completely different. <laughs> you know, you, you use uh, mm-hmm. juxtaposition or, uh, yeah, specifically uh, what the alt-right was using was called, uh, something called self-reference, specifically uh, mm-hmm. aesthetic self-reference. Uh and in the twenty sixteen especially it was hard for the left to, to keep up with the alt rights uh the alt right was absolutely ascendant in twenty sixteen. Uh it was hard for the left to keep up with the alt right's sense of irony. Uh their uh, their culture jamming game was uh was on point, uh and they you know, they were the counterculture. Uh and you know, they they still are, yes uh in some sense in some senses. Uh,
2: but yeah, it's well, I, mean, I think, you know, I think it's,
3: Charlottesville it's, I think yeah. Charlottesville kind of put the alt-right in a position where they realized yeah. that it was not safe for them to right. to make themselves publicly visible like that ever again. And you'll notice this year's Unite the Right rallies, they did not have the attendance or the energy right. that Charlottesville had. And I think that uh, what a lot of the people in the alt-right have realized is that they're yeah. better off, um, right. feeding uh, seeding seeding culture from from behind
1: the screen right and they are the other way around yeah. right. right better to be uh sort of the uh IT man behind the curtain so to speak someone who uh yeah right and uh yeah, yeah. and uh, aesthetics are very powerful there's no there's no need to uh in other words right i think that uh, the right kind of realized That organizationally, aesthetically, they're very on point, but organization or organizationalism may be a very left wing uh, uh, effort, a very left wing. uh, Well, when you're
3: always in the minority, when you're always in the minority,
1: and regardless
3: of what people think, this is one of the great things that the left has been able to do. They've been yeah. able, through, through extreme organization they, – they're very very monolithic, and they're very organized, and this has been going on since the Bolsheviks. They're able to make yeah. their small numbers appear much stronger and much larger than it actually is. Yeah. Uh, the Bolsheviks, yeah. during the Russian Revolution, they initially – the initial overthrow of the Tsar and the Tsarist government uh, involved the Mensheviks. They were in an alliance with the Bolsheviks. The Bolsheviks actually right. only totaled about 3% of that effort you know uh, the, right. if you look at the pop there probably three had the support of about 3% of the population they were pretty small even compared to the mensheviks which were the the, the democratic right. socialists the white nationalists and the white nationalists were really if you look at them very similar in ideology to the national socialists in germany uh, right. the, the bolsheviks were able to through through extreme organization and and rigid you know they were very rigid in their in their uh, methods uh they were able to overcome the mensheviks and, and establish this you know the soviet union so i think that that's one of the things that you have to be aware of is that if the left can do any one thing well they know how to organize and they know how to uh, right. to to uh, structure organizations you know for effectiveness
2: right
1: right yeah it's uh and also uh in the current era also uh they have uh, at least uh the 70s for a real decade for uh left it's rewriting a number of uh, judicial precedents, which uh, I think karma is hitting them now because uh, this whole court packing thing they're complaining about. I mean, they did the same thing. They they started it. They started it in the uh, in the 70s. They the sure 70s. did.
3: Well, they and, showed. Uh, they had, yeah. The thing yeah. is, is that they show they showed the right how to do these things, and what's happened is you get right. a whole new crop of right wing people. And these people are not right. scared of using the left's own tools against them. Whereas the rightists that you found prior to the last ten years or so, right. they didn't want to do yeah. that. They
1: we didn't want to sink to their level, but right, not right. So they anymore. had the, exactly. the gloves have come off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, they had a soul. I mean, uh, that that's what always kind of, uh, kind of, you know, kind of uh, pings me. I, I can't think of the word right now, but. Uh, that you know when the leftists complain about um oh the loss of values the loss of civility or the uh the, the loss of morality or uh, or the rise in it's identitarianism <laughs> yeah it's i mean i there. don't know what to, I, yeah because i mean if you really take a a uh just do a, a, a some due diligence it doesn't require a whole lot of it but uh, it does seem to have uh have originated from the uh from the From the left, and uh, you know I'd really kind of again as someone who uh who has extensively interacted with the left and really kind of uh like some of the uh, some of what Mark said about um you know how your 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 your- produ- your ethos can come from your mode of production in the economy you know if you're a worker, you think things are this way if you if you're a capitalist, you think things are this way if you're a beneficiary uh bourgeoisie uh, bourgeois, uh, it's, uh well you think things are another way yeah. Well, the
3: thing that's funny about Marx uh, that I think you'll see if you, if you go back and you look in the Communist Manifesto, one of the things he talked about was the uh, the socialist nature of capital, and, and what he said was is that that uh, capital, businesses, corporations, et cetera, so on, are already socialist. Right. The issue with them is not. What the activity is, the issue is who's benefiting right. from, the, from the production. And so what he basically right. was saying was that you don't need to complete – you don't have to go in and destroy all the corporations and shut down all the businesses. You just need to put the workers in charge of everything. So keep the big right. corporation. Keep it structured. Just let the workers right. you know, decide who gets how much of what. And, and really, right. if you want to be honest, uh, that, that's corporatism.
0: He, he says right.
3: he, he's he's basically advocating, which which Mussolini advocated,
0: mm-hmm. you know, right? And, and Marx mm-hmm.
3: was heavily influenced by the by the French Revolution, which was not right. international Bolshevik communism. Right. March was heavily influenced right. by a form of national socialism, which came out of France. Right. That that's really where this, the first real true secular nation state in the world. I mean, even more so than the United States, it it came about in France, right? And they were heavily socialist, so you see a lot of a lot of interplay back and forth between those two thought processes. But yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And that's interesting that that uh, the French Revolution and French society in general becomes a laboratory for for many of the ideas, uh, you know, that are iterated by the West. In other words. let we let the french fa- the french fail first and then we figure out what to do with the <laughs> aftermath so uh yeah i'll tell you i've i've spent some time in uh in, in french speaking areas uh montreal quebec and uh i mean uh they love to think they love to think uh they they perhaps uh, cannot uh, do like the uh like, like the like the english or they cannot perhaps uh organize like like the germans but uh they, they love to think and uh they love to cook too <laughs> it's it, it's almost a uh, it's, it's almost religious to them uh,
3: which is hilarious uh, for me because the French love to yeah. cook they love to eat they yeah. love to drink alcohol yeah. and then they get they they love right. to make fun of people who are fat, which is sort of counterproductive considering how much they love to eat and drink and right cigarettes. right.
1: i uh yeah well i had uh, had the, the, the Good, uh, good luck to good experience of of, of going to McDonald's in uh, in, in in several uh, locations in Quebec, and uh, they uh, they're really it's low on carbs. I mean, the French bread it's it, it doesn't seem as if you're getting any sort of cheap sugar over there. Uh, it's hmm. uh, you know you will you will get your hamburger on a uh, gosh I, I forget all the French and it's not a croissant it's a uh, that's the other one. Well, there's the croissant. <laughs> there, there's several other ones. I mean yeah they will right. give you your burger will not be on an american hamburger bun. it will be on something uh french and and the term is is escaping me um but uh, it's, yeah it's very the whole experience is very low carb and uh i think that uh the french uh they're the last they're the last to uh uh sign on for cheap food we've gotta be right Right. Um,
3: so, well, so, so um what, what do you think, as far as so, so we we're talking about hyper, hyper reality, we we're talking about sort of the meta right the idea and the whole idea that aesthetics precedes the aesthetic, which is essentially, you know, in, in our culture, um, it, it sort of precedes politics, which means it precedes political <laughs> theory. And, and I'm not sure, right. you know, so I guess you could, you could say it also then precedes political ideology as a whole right. It, it right. perceived yeah. ideology. So, so by the time you see a political ideology
1: come on the scene,
3: there's been something right. rumbling and bubbling in the culture for years.
1: For years. Yeah. Yeah. could be, And it could have been up to, up to 30 years. I mean, you know, when you see how, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, the kind of the, uh, the life cycle of these ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, right. Hmm. It, uh, it, yeah, it's always something in the culture, and uh, postmodernism, you know, after Marxism brought this idea that um, that these ideas could be uh, coming out of the mediums themselves, which, which is a very fundamental contribution. Of course, uh, postmodernism was limited to television, radio, and, uh, uh, you know, it kind of coincides with the rise of mass media, so they didn't have the... Uh,
3: magazines, newspapers and also um, right uh uh academic journals.
1: Right. Right, exactly, exactly, right. So so print was uh was big, was big even in the uh in the uh, so uh and, you know postmodernism was uh, basically uh defined by print as well. So, yeah, right?
3: So what is the so, impact that you think that, that the postmodern movement then has had on on the alt right then? What is your overall, I mean just sort of a high level overall view of of what you think right. as far as I mean is it is it a is it a, fa- a foundation of it or is it just part of it or right. is it just a some sort of influence or I mean wh- where does that come in as far as the the alt right and the meta right are concerned?
1: I have you. Well, uh, you won't believe this. Uh, your questions are right on my wavelength. I know. I know we've been uh, jumping a lot back and forth. We've gone from the uh, French Revolution to uh, to uh, English professors. But uh, this is some <laughs> a question I had pondered last. <laughs> no, this is a, this is a, you know, I, This is great. i I have to say the best conversations I have with people who have uh, actually uh, studied philosophy formally. Uh, it, it becomes very structured in a good way. Um, so this is a question I had pondered, actually, last week. Uh, I would like to say as, 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 uh, as near as two days ago, as, uh, as recent as two days ago, is, uh, well, you know, what is the alt-right uh, in, uh, in reference to kind of the broader postmodern milieu? And uh, I think that the answer to that question leads us to uh, the foundations, the very foundations of postmodernism itself. Which is uh, Horkheimer, who is a uh, a German Jewish intellectual, along with some of his uh, counterparts, uh, Adorno and others, uh, who uh, the postmodernism originally started as a uh, a spiritual critique of uh, of Marxism, and uh, you know the uh, the uh, Marxist critics of, post- of Marxist critics of Marxism uh, described Karl Marx. Uh, in varying degrees, as uh, mechanistic. In other words, this idea that he had a he was overly modernist. Modernist meaning a sum of parts paradigm. In other words, this idea that that kind of like cogs in a machine. He was viewing work. Yeah, he was viewing workers in a collective movement as part of cogs in a machine. So Adorno and Horkheimer, I think Horkheimer specifically, coined this term. Uh, Poverty of mass culture. Uh, I think that's the correct phrase, or uh, mass culture of poverty. I have to I have to look up the correct phrase. Uh, but it's we, pretty well so I have known. To
3: interject. I just want to interject for a second. Yeah. I, I have often seen and I've and I've heard it said before that that Marx is really the probably uh-huh. the last real uh, philosopher of the Enlightenment. Probably the end of the Enlightenment is what you're seeing with Marx, at least from the where I'm standing. He kind of that last, the last of the Enlightenment figures. Everything that came after that was something else. Uh-huh. But but go. I mean that in my opinion. Go ahead. Go
1: ahead. Go go back into what you no, were. I, I, about. I was, well, I was actually going to say that earlier in the hour, but we didn't we didn't really know each other yet, so I thought you were going to yell at me. You know, I like guess you say, the rest, <laughs> it can completely. I was actually going to mention that 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 Karl Marx might have actually completed the legacy of Rene Descartes you know, with his uh, materialist uh, dualism, or his... Uh, mm. But yeah, he would have been the last... Uh, he can... Uh, Karl Marx can be properly thought of as the, the logical conclusion to the Enlightenment. Um, as much as the Normie libertarian movement might not want to hear it, especially the right libertarian, Karl Marx is the... Uh, it's the logic... Marxism is the logical conclusion of, uh, of Enlightenment values. Uh, <clears throat> uh, so... Right. So the question is, you know, what is uh well what is what is the alt-right uh in terms of postmodernism or more broadly, well what was postmodernism in terms of Marxism? So these these post these the first these postmodernists or these postmodern modern the founding fathers of postmodernism, um, they they really took Marx to task for this idea that uh, for uh on this premise that on these grounds that uh Marxism or communism was, uh, ex- uh, was overly mechanistic. So you want to give workers freedom. You want to give human beings freedom. However, you are, um, you are, um, kind of treating workers like, uh, cogs in a machine. And they attributed that to kind of the era, the industrial era in which Marx was writing. So he would have been even before, obviously television and radio. Uh, and, uh, what they did in response is they said you know they they actually began they actually began they began with the spiritual uh, they looked at the world around them they, they, they basically postmodernists they what what kind of catalyzed their whole movement uh, and they actually began in the 40s uh 50 years before the fall of the soviet union they realized that uh, the Frankfurt School, I believe, uh, started right at the onset of World War II, or uh, a little bit after, um, but it was in the 40s. Uh, they had realized that the leading intellectuals of Marxism reali- had realized uh, Marxism has has completely failed 50 years before the fall of the Soviet Union. They realized Marxism has failed as a uh, as an economic theory, uh, or as a as a, as a uh, as an economic model and they said, well, where do we go next? Uh, so they began to look at Marx again in light of, in light of his, uh, kind of industrial background. meaning, you know, obviously industrialization was, uh, was the prevalent, uh, motif. Uh, and they began to, uh, they, they began to argue that, uh, I may have gone off on a tangent actually, but, uh, they argued that uh, his his approach was very mechanistic, and they what they they realized that uh, well they realized that capitalism had won essentially, or, or the market economy, uh, as it would have been understood in the 40s and 50s, had won. Uh, and what they the, um, but what capitalism gave them actually a toolkit with which to actually, as they saw it, fix Marxism. Uh, and they began to criticize uh, consumerism, uh, materialism, um, and so forth as a spiritually destitute. Uh, so, kind of there, you can kind of see postmodernism kind of aping Christianity. Well, that's uh, a, you know, that's
3: a really good point. And I, I, David, are you with right us still?
1: David, yeah. Are
3: you still out there? Uh, so, so yes. you and I have talked. What, what is your? can you kind of lay out what you know about the, the sort of the psychoanalytical, the kind of the Freudian aspect of like guys like Fromm and, and, uh, Marcuse and those guys, cause they did some psychoanalysis. They, they were practicing social <laughs> psychoanalysis. They were trying to psychoanalyze society. David, David's pretty good about that. You, do you know, I mean, could you lay out, tell us a little bit about that, David?
0: In short, it's about, um, the capitalist mode of society it has made people, um, Less sexually productive has made people into um, conduits for capital instead of uh, truly expressing themselves through um, true eros, uh, really unfalsifiable stuff. Mhm. But but it,
3: basically, I mean, they're 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 throwing a lot of stuff out there, and a lot of it's Freudian, isn't it?
0: Yes, yeah, it's, they, it's, they try to apply Freud, but then they take their own take on it, which is ultimately unfalsifiable. Hmm. Um, it's like, uh, like the psychosexual development is a result of, of capitalism, and it's the and it's a um, it's harming modern society. People care more about cars stuff than they do about their families, or something like that.
3: Mhm.
0: So, so, so you're saying
3: that they're they're basically what Kashif was mentioning. Consumerism is sort of really driving is causing a problem. Breaking yeah, down consumerism. breaking down society. Breaking down society. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So you were I haven't heard much out of you tonight. I figured maybe you went and had dinner and came back.
0: Um, uh, um I wanted to ask you. I'm him, joking uh, by the way. <laughs> uh, what do you think about the Jewish question?
1: Oh, the JQ? Uh, considering yes. well, considering yes. that all these yes.
3: guys we're talking about, the vast majority of them are Jewish.
1: Right, 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 right. So, wow, wow, that's a uh, that's uh, a a loaded one. No, that's a big one. <laughs> that's a, it is. Um, no, it is.
3: It is loaded, and it, and it yes. and it is one of those things that we find can get people in trouble. But we still uh, we still talk right. about it. I mean, we have our own views on right. it. We're not. We're not quite right. the same as what a lot of the alt-right, especially. We don't agree with the National Socialist groups on this question, but even so, we we honestly we yeah. like to hear honest takes on it. Nobody's getting yelled at here.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, go go ahead. ahead. Yeah, no, yeah, I uh, know. This is interesting. So uh, Richard Heathen called me up one day, and uh, I had an interview with him. He actually ended up asking me to write something for him, but yeah, he asked me pretty point blank. I guess he's calling out of Canada, and uh, he had that little Canadian accent, which uh, kept throwing me off. But he asked me about the j q as well, and uh, he had his own take uh obviously you know some familiarity with the term because uh years of interacting with the alt right and you kind of pick up you know kind of uh, get wise to their terminology uh um my take on uh my take on uh yes yeah, so so they were right they were uh they were jewish uh ten out of twelve of them uh, not uncommon even in turn of the Turn of, turn of the war, uh, World War II era, um, you know, the uh, Jewish intellectuals are uh, very attracted to the social sciences, uh, psychology, uh, linguistics especially, and uh, <clears throat> a couple other fields, can, uh, economics, of course. Second, second uh, political science.
0: Uh, re- yes,
1: yes, yes, absolutely. So anything that involves uh, kind of language and its uh, manifestations, because uh, if, uh, if you really kind of take a look at, Hard look at Judaism and kind of comparative religion, uh, contrastive religion. Uh, it, it very much emphasizes that linguistics heavy. Even if you think about uh, the New Testament, think about John one verse one. Now, I grew up Protestant, so knowing the Bible is a must. Uh, what does it say? Uh, the, the 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 word, the word was with God, and the word is God. Uh, you could actually uh, sum up. Uh, Judaism very concisely, hopefully without offending them, using a Christian verse, you know. But it was written; the New Testament was uh, purportedly written by, by Jewish uh, uh, Jewish men. Uh, you know, the mm-hmm. idea that the Word is God. Uh, so my, my take on the on on the Jewish question is, uh, I feel as if uh, Judaism specifically is an epistemology or a, a structure of truth. Uh, And that structure of truth is uh, different from any other religion you will find. Uh, I uh, feel as if uh, embedded within uh, Judaism is this idea of uh, linear time, uh, this idea of historical materialism, uh, which uh, I think Marx put it together the right way. That term he put together, historical materialism. Whether you disagree with him or not, the term itself is actually Applied correctly to Judaism Uh, I think that it can be a challenge for uh, Jews and non-Jews as cordial as they may be to uh, get along at scale and the reason for that is uh, again uh, the epistemology of Judaism in contrast to uh, religions uh, made by actual races or not that I'm not arguing that Jews are not a people they are definitely a people they are, they're contrapositive with respect to each other. In other words, uh, Judaism assumes linear time. Because if you think about epistemology or structure of truth, it's basically uh, a form of time stamping or giving a structure to time. Uh, the issue with mm-hmm. being non-Jewish is that your perception of time is cyclical. Because so, um, if you recall, you know, cyclical time really comes from uh, you know, your culture or your race Spending An extensive amount of time In agriculture But if you look at Jewish history They never spent any Especially if you read a lot of Kurt Doolittle he'll, 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 He's emphasized that in a number of posts uh, Regardless of you know, People's personal opinion of Doolittle He does emphasize that, that Jews, or The Jewish culture Or Jewish people Jewish history has spent so little time In agriculture That they never developed this uh, Concept of cyclical time to them, time is uh, linear, and in order for time to be linear, uh, your history must be material. Uh, hence, this idea of uh, Karl Marx—you uh, know—all relations between people can be uh, deconstructed to a material relationships.
3: Uh, worker, well, Let capitalist. me say real quick. I just want to—I just want to throw something out there. On, on you, know, you mentioned Kurt Doolittle. Now, my my feelings on Kurt Doolittle and proprietarianism are this. Uh, and I'm and yeah. I've been outspoken for the most part. Um I, I there are a lot of things, there are some, some basic tenets where I disagree with Kurt on some things. However, right. yeah. when it comes right down to it, however, as far as ideologically, Kurt's um uh, advocacy for aristocracy and things yeah. like that nature, I find that in many ways yeah. he's a natural ally of of the way that I think. Right. Uh, but but there are right. many things that I see that I don't agree with <laughs> that uh, help Kurt arrive at some of his conclusions. Now I won't say there are some things that I don't know enough about to, to criticize him on either. So so right. uh, as, uh, overall I have a positive opinion of propertarians. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know some yeah. of them and I and I don't I don't think right. there's anything wrong with with them. Uh, so that that's where right. I land on it. David, where, where do you land with Kurt Doodle and the proprietarians?
0: Um Kurt Doolittle, he's an interesting character. Um uh, <laughs> uh, he's uh he's got some good ideas. Uh I think yeah, his yeah. uh economics economically speaking, uh there's some there's some falsifiable stuff and yet there's yeah. some stuff that's not quite so yeah. un uh, falsifiable. Yeah. That's that's unfalsifiable. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That all commons should be public, uh,
1: right?
0: But yeah, it, I,
3: in general, I, I mean, think we we have a fa- we don't have a we have a favorable view, not a dis unfavorable view of Kurt and not, the proprietarians. On, yeah, so, yeah. It, mm-hmm.
0: yeah,
1: yeah, I think uh, I think proprietarian proprietarians and minarchists could uh, could cooperate on uh, could unite on this idea of aristocracy. I think that is a good uh, kind of a uh, intersection between minarchists and uh, propertarians. I think Kurt is also pushing for, to be honest, I think he is also pushing for a minimalistic aristocracy. And I think that's what makes him very approachable for, uh, for uh, the libertarians, -libertarians. Uh, Mm post-libertarians. So just one second here. So, so I guess the original
3: question, go ahead. No, you you were so before I interrupted you. You were saying that that uh, you know Kurt was mentioning that uh, Jewish people had spent such a little so so little time in actual agricultural uh, uh, occupations yeah. that they really didn't think in terms of seasons or cyclical time, and as a result. Right their entire history was, was essentially just sort of a timestamp of like this, 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 this timeline, just boom, 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 boom. This happened here, this happened next. They don't really, they don't really think in terms of cycles or anything. And so uh, as a result, it, it had a major right. effect
1: on how Marx laid out uh, Marxism. Exactly. Exactly. So um, if you really kind of go into uh, I'm not sure if the right term is etymology or ontological etymology, but uh, a fundamental part of uh, existential linearity uh, is, in fact, discontinuity. Uh, so, in other words, meaning that discontinuity is really formalist, uh, a formalized version of linearity. Uh, well, Jewish, uh, I'd have to lay the map out for you a little bit. But, yeah, Jewish, culture, Jewish history is very discontinuous. Uh, there are great many events that, in fact, were out of their control, uh, and uh, you know, Judaism is a is a language based religion, uh, a language uh, a religion that deifies language uh, in uh, in a in basically uh, in a linear time fashion. Uh, it's uh, it it's very much uh, this can bring it into conflict with basically all cyclical time religion, because every other religion you see, in fact, I was arguing a couple of days ago in a Facebook post, which uh, I, I'm not sure if I should continue with these stream of consciousness Facebook posts, but um, I argued that in many ways, uh, Judaism could be thought of as a science. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, all science began as religion or alchemy or astrology at some point, some pseudoscience, but uh, well, Judaism has a lot I was in common. It
3: stays, so that's perfect.
1: Pseudoscience, I would uh, I think is perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, you know, so um, obviously, mo- you know, most observant, Jew- non-observant Jews do not practice their own religion. But, yeah, it um, it could be thought of as very much having in common with uh, with some sort of a science, be it a pseudoscience or, or you know, even a – I actually call it I – ca- I call it something different. I call it negative formalism, which uh, I'd have to go over that term uh you know, in, in another context, but I call it negative formalism. Uh, but uh, it's a, it's, it's a cha- it, it would be a challenge uh, to, uh, and I don't want, I don't mean to say this and I'm serious. I've, I've spent now I've spent an, an extensive amount of time with national socialists and alt writers uh, on, on the web. I have seen where anti-Semitism can go seriously wrong where, uh, you know, and obviously mm-hmm. for a time they were using this term counter-Semitism uh One of the issues mm-hmm. with building a movement of critical thinkers at scale is that critical thinkers can attract a lot of people who are just plain interested in scapegoating uh and yes. once that happens, oh my <laughs> that was actually my well, interview with someone else i yeah-
3: well yeah. that's see that's where that is one of the areas where I have a serious problem. I think David does too is that is that yeah. essentially w- when we start hearing people talk about you know the Jews are this yeah. and they make they make certain statements like for instance the Jews are destroyers of everything these kinds of statements right. are unverifiable there yeah. there's yeah. The, the evidence is you know it's basically it's an unfalsifiable statement and it's a, it's a, an absolutist it's an absolute statement and i'm talking in the right. philosophical right. term of absolute right. and so it there's no way that you can say these kinds of yeah. things and it actually be meaningful now and mm-hmm. and, and i see we we're, we're, Everything gets boiled down to, well, you know, socialism came out of Germany, and it's all the Jews' fault. This came out of here, and it's all the Jews' fault. And I don't see much difference in blaming everything bad that happens to us on the Jews from uh, a lot of people of color claiming white privilege and white supremacy is is the reason why they can't get ahead in the world, even in places where the population is majority people of color. They're, they're claiming right. that white supremacy is is their problem. And so I don't right. see any difference between blaming the Jews for everything and blaming white supremacy or white privilege for everything. Uh right. I, right. I have a so I have a real issue with it, you know. So and, and I think David does too. Don't you do you not have an issue with that as well, David? Just some of the conversations we've had.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh I think that the Jewish stuff can get out of hand. Uh, like the, I mean, there,
3: don't get me wrong. There's some truth. There is some truth in there about, yeah, about some of the yeah. things that you see, but but it's not. I, I, I mean, we have to be careful where what you know where we take it. That's all. I think.
0: I think right. Jewish culture. Mm-hmm. I think that they they practice a little bit of uh, um, quite more slave morality. I think um, Jew, historically, Jew, speaking, Jews. Um, um, we're highly capitalistic on economics, though. They, I think, practice mass immorality yeah. there,
1: right. right? Right.
3: But yeah, so you're right. So I see exactly what you're talking about there, Kasha. I see, I see exactly what you're talking about. Yeah.
1: Right. So, no, this is a, this has been a stat. You know, I'm glad to kind of bring Dave into the. Uh, I like having him as, as an audience, but uh, like also when he jumps <laughs> in, it. Uh, I'm glad it took the JQ to bring you out there, but yeah, yeah, everyone's. Uh, everyone's. <laughs> go ahead. Oh, yeah, I think we're just everyone has it a little bit as we get. Oh, oh, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, everyone has a, quite a, a little bit of a different i uh, different opinion on on the JQ, uh, except for the National Socialists, the unironic ones who uniformly have one opinion, uh, but. Uh, yep. It's uh, where I would say it's a challenge. So this is kind of going into more of the the negative aspects, or or what some in the alt right would call counter-Semitism. Is um, I do sense that uh, you know if you have, uh, and again not encouraging any kind of really bullshit low-level uh, ad hominem attacks against any group. Uh, what can happen though is if you have. Uh, kind of a Jewish community at scale, well, what does at scale mean? I mean, in terms of, well, if you're Jewish, you're really not that many people. And especially in light of the fact that Jews have been scapegoated, uh, in ways that have been, uh, atrocious. Uh, again, it's easy to lampoon it in the mimetic sense, but realizing that, you know, in the forties and, you know, forties and earlier, I mean, things were a lot less ironic. I mean, it was life or death uh, mm-hmm. on you know, both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, I unfortunately have seen instances i mean in the historical sense uh, where if you if you come to rely you know on uh, especially in the legal sense uh, at scale whatever that means uh, in the in the, in the sense of being a minority um, I have seen instances or I have uh, noted instances uh, it's something that's observable It's it's, it's uh rep- uh, it's repeatable i mean it repeats itself where um where Jew, uh you know, Jewish or uh so Jewish Americans or Jewish Russians they have a tendency to change the structure of a verification uh in a in a non Jewish society. And what I mean is that Jewish, the, the structure certainly. of verification Yeah. Yeah. So um and and uh it's not it's not something that would be uh Natural per se to the non-Jewish population, meaning if non-Jews, uh, and by structure of verification, I literally mean the epistemology, it uh, it will change. Well, the, ca- the, ca- uh, and, and, well
3: guys, the the Catholic Church is is just as much to blame for that type of thing. Right. And and David and I are both Catholic, so j- just to let you know. Okay. Okay, that's cool.
1: So uh, Protestant reporting, uh, not observant, though, but uh, not necessarily. But, uh, you know, it's hard to shake off some of your more uh, culture, the cultural attributes of your religion. And that's why I, I warn people off of some of the more uh, the unironic counter-Semitism. Or, uh, but, yeah, it, 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 over time, uh, these changes can snowball, and uh, things can become very discontinuous. Uh, and it's funny, but uh, Jewish intellectuals themselves have described postmodernism as this kind of, uh, that it introduces the discontinuity that Jews experienced in their own history and projects them on, on, on non-Jews. You know what I mean? Now, there's the upheaval
3: yeah.
1: that, uh, <laughs> that uh, you know, the crashing of truths. Uh, it's like, like you can't rely on any truth. That, that Jews experienced in their own history, uh, it is now being uh, kind of projected or superimposed on the Gentile, more agricultural or cyclical time populations. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, this, that's, that's where the challenge lies because I've seen time and time again, this is not something that a movement at scale could uh, reconcile because if you, if you get critical thinkers at scale, eventually you just start adding on scapegoats scapegoaters, um, so we don't mm-hmm. want to do that. Um, I think uh, ultimately this, your approach of a monarchy, uh, or this concept of monarchy, even if it's an esoteric monarchy, or, or as the uh, Dark Enlightenment folks call it, maybe a, a, a futarchy, uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of a step in the right direction, um, but yeah, it, 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 it's a beast. Uh, because uh, you're being basically put into a structure of truth system that, that is not native to you. And this has happened time and time and time again, is that where, uh, you know, the Jewish uh, migrants have been ejected forcibly, uh, some violently from, uh, from the different countries. Uh, You know, I don't want to use the term host countries again, because, but because that implies that Jews don't belong there. And I don't want to imply that they don't because, uh, I guess you know, we're also, all strangers. It also implies
3: that they're yeah. parasites if you're not careful. You have to be careful. Um, you, you know what I'm saying. It, it, that there's sort of an implication, a host for a parasite. But uh, I right. think, I think one of the things that you were mentioning, you said that, that the monarchy is kind of a step in the right direction. Well, I think that, that one of the things that, that David and I, again, he and I spend so much time talking about some of these issues. Uh, yeah. I, We've, we've literally seriously influenced each other a lot and and what's funny yeah. is is that uh, the the idea of it is is that uh, hereditary power structures have a tendency to um, cement the culture, to give a mooring to the culture itself. So hereditary power structures like right. uh, the, the things that the things that national socialists and fascists try to do socially and culturally are, are we consider i consider those to be uh synthetic or artificial and that i see them when right. they talk about the past and empires and they relate to caesar and so on i see that as actual live action action role playing because i see them actually as more <laughs> progressive and more of a secular modern type of, of arrangement and that monarchy right. is actually real the real right wing and that the monarch yeah. is the, the hereditary power. It cements the culture, and so you get things like a very much more ethically pure state when you have a monarch, and you have a hereditary aristocratic uh, – yeah. aristocratic uh, uh, structure going on. Uh, and that's that's the reason why I see it as preferable, and that's the reason why I see it
1: as way to the right of the national socialists right.
3: and the fascists.
1: Right, right almost like a right wing in another dimension maybe a uh, third what political is. dimension yeah almost it that. Is. Well, like the well,
3: uh, it, if, if you fall back to i mean it is it, it's actually it's actually it is actually the true iteration of what is originally considered to be conservative the traditional right true traditional yeah, idea yeah. of right wing conservative
0: mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You can almost think of the, the French revolution as the death of the monarchy. And it birthed two sons, kind of the, the infant, terrible, which is a uh, Marxism and fascism. You know, you can almost think of them as a uh, kind of like death of Superman. So you have two Superman's vying for the, uh, vying for the like The crown is mine. Oh no, the crown is mine. So you can really <laughs> see kind of a beak of uh, Marxism and, and fascism, uh, arising from the death of the monarchy. And I, you know, again, the alt-right was the first time I had even even met monarchists. And I began to realize, wait a minute, if the monarchy returns in any shape or form, even in some sort of a, 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 a form of consciousness or, or a technological form, and that would be the end of the uh, Marxism-Fascism uh, dispute. <laughs> I mean, the monarchy reconciles everything. I mean, it uh, no longer would you have these, uh, you know, the... The terrible twins fighting. Right. And, uh, and, uh, so, 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 wow, we've really so kind of, uh, we've covered
3: a lot of territory. We, I will tell you, we passed the 20 minute mark. We've got about 15, 16 minutes, about 15 minutes to go before, before the end of the show, okay. but, I'd like to let okay. you get a little bit more in there, but I want to ask David. David, do you have anything that you'd like to throw in there regarding the uh, idea or the concept think, yeah. of monarchy that you'd just like to throw out there?
0: Yeah, um, like what Nietzsche said, uh, that democracy and equality has an a, – a, and you can tell after the end of monarchy has an emasculating effect on the culture. Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: And – I think you've seen that with democracy, especially in the 20th and 21st centuries, the the uh, rise in the number of plebs.
3: Well, I mean, as you and I have pointed out, Hoppe, Hoppe made it quite clear that um, democracy is nothing more than a soft form of communism. And yeah. really, most if you look back through history, most, most uh, political theorists and so on, even on the left and the right, understand this. Uh Um, you know so so democracy is a serious problem and i really think that that um where we're at right now is definitely a direct result of the enlightenment enlightenment thinking and the idea of even a a democratic representative state like we have we have a republic that's a democratic representative republic so but
1: anyway yeah uh, go ahead yeah no it seems that way um i did something extensive this was a summer ago when i was at Kind of pre philosophy, more into the social sciences, but I did an extent, I just extensively discussed this was like in June 2017. Uh, yeah, this idea that, uh, in, you know, you said that democracy is really soft communism. Yeah, this idea that, uh, and earlier in the, in the show, you had discussed uh, about how uh, Marxism or postmodernism specifically can LARP as Christianity and eventually uh, corrupt mm-hmm. the church from the inside. You know, you said we mm-hmm. mentioned slave morality. Um, so a summer ago, uh, tw- summer of 2017, I uh, I mentioned uh, to a friend of mine. She's kind of more of a uh, feminist Marxist, but I. Uh, so she was a, uh, you know, a little <laughs> quite to the left, borderline communist. But I said, you know, I said the issue issue with postmodernism in its current state, uh, identity postmodernism, uh, or left identitarianism. I said the issue. The reason that uh, it it has betrayed the the reason it is the heuristic by which it's able to betray Enlightenment values or uh, or classical liberalism is basically this: uh, intersectionalism can LARP as pluralism, but pluralism cannot LARP as intersectionalism. You know what I mean? No, so that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. So, in other words, the, the Marxist can enter your libertarian circle and say, I believe in intersectionalism, and the libertarians listen to that. And they're like, wow, that sounds a lot like pluralism. This must be a, another dimension of pluralism that we had not considered. So now all of a sudden I'm looking at my, uh, you know, again, going beyond mode of production to look at my identity my race, my this, and all of a sudden it seems like my mind has been opened. But what over time, you begin to realize un, un, until it's uh, too late that, wait a minute, we can't go back. In other words, you can go from pluralism to intersectionalism, but intersectionalism, you cannot go back to pluralism. In other words, uh, you can go from equality of the individual to equality of the group. To the uh, to equality of the group, but, and Richard Heathen actually has an article posted on this. It was done by a uh, propertarian follower of Kurtz. You can go from equality of the individual to equality of the group, but you cannot go back from equality of the group, quote-unquote equality of the group, or intersectional mm-hmm. equality. You cannot go back to pluralism. So... Right uh this yeah so basically, this is how leftists can pretend to be libertarians, but uh but libertarians or right libertarians cannot pretend to be marxists um, in other words uh the uh, quite the, uh, quite the uh, uh you know the intersectionalism can mimic pluralism, but pluralism cannot mimic intersectionalism. And, um, right. This is a, so, uh, so basically.
3: Like this is... So if you're on the so if you're on the essentially it, it sets up it sets up uh, it's much easier for the left to infiltrate the the right than it is the other way around. Um, well, it, right. 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 Well,
1: and and that well, is that actually that,
3: what. Go ahead. go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's a, that's a very interesting interesting concept, but but please go, go yeah, elaborate okay. more. Go further.
1: Yeah, and well, like you, you, you know, your take on it was, look, Christianity, you had mentioned that Christianity had been uh, completely, uh, you know, people will say Christianity has been cut. Uh, other people say, well, Christianity has been infiltrated. That will be more of the unironic types. And you mentioned that, you know, Christianity had been corrupted. You know, yeah, that's basically mm-hmm. what it is. And and that was the observation, uh, along with something about Nietzsche that I had uh, in relation to postmodernism that I had that observed that I had observed earlier last summer That actually launched my foray Into philosophy So that's how I ended okay. up kind of where you are <laughs> um, yeah. In terms of uh, philosophy Yeah, that's how I ended up That's how I became a philosopher <laughs> So in sum, full well, circle How I became a philosopher <laughs> so. Well, I think,
3: I think If you look at, you were talking about sociology And I think if you look at sociology uh, mm-hmm. You start looking at things like uh, Economics, uh, psychology Political science uh, anthropology, and then just the general discipline of sociology. The, these are disciplines yeah. that at one time were philosophy, but they're extremely specialized. They, they've become very special. I say extremely. but it was really just more. They're just real specialized. Now, political science is 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 probably a, a, a double specialized because first you go into sociology, and then you become a political scientist, or you become an econ, an economist. But you know right. what's interesting is that an economist is really I mean they're qualified to talk about political science because they're they're sociologists right. and political scientists right. are, are qualified to talk about economics because they're they're sociologists but but, right. the, but when you hit, you hit a brick wall with some of that stuff, there are some questions that social science can't answer, just like there's some questions right. that natural science can't answer, which natural philosophy became science, you know, like the hard sciences, like uh, biology and uh, astrophysics, astronomy, et cetera, later. But sometimes right. you just have to step back into philosophy, and this is what people don't understand about philosophy. They don't understand that the reason why philosophy can't die is because the other disciplines right. are simply tendrils of philosophy, and that when you hit a certain right. point with those other disciplines, sometimes you have to you have to step back into philosophy in order to be able to move forward again. And we found this with, with uh, a lot of Aristotelian thought. It caused a lot of problems, and they ended up kind of going back to Plato at some point, and then they were able to move forward again. But, I mean, realistically, um, most of the philosophy that you see that's had any major impact in the last 200 years has been sociological in nature. So, you're, you're, I think, I think to, for for you to be a philosopher to affect a difference, I think you're you're go, you're on the right path because you've explored, really, yeah. in my opinion, a lot of the the, the big options there, a lot of the, the more important disciplines for that for for political theory and all of that. So, and I and I think right. that that is that your whole theory, the whole idea of the meta right, the whole idea that aesthetics um, precedes um, culture and aesthetics precedes political theory and ideology and 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 politics right. in, in general. I think it's a great it's a great point. I think it's awesome. So, when you say meta right, I mean, are, can you tell me? I mean, is this, is this? Are you saying that the meta right um, precedes essentially? precedes the alt-right and it precedes all the other versions of of right right right-wing ideology or theory is that
1: is that where we're headed with this yes yes absolutely it does um now obviously in a linear timeline it has definitely come in linear time or material time it has definitely appeared after all those other versions of the right but uh in in terms of emergent this is the uh this is the uh, original right or the emergent right it's uh it's uh it's the past coming from the future so to speak the uh the okay. primordial past yeah yeah okay. and uh
3: so so well well and it may be i mean it, it, it maybe it's just that you you know you and the people that that are centered around this are the ones who see it you know, it may be that it was it was spotted after some of the other stuff, but it was there already. Um, it, it's kind of like right. some of the uh, some of the other scientific discoveries that have been out there. For instance, when they discovered not to bring this up, I, mean, I hate to bring it, but when they discovered the the, the uh, HIV existed, they had no idea. Right. Well, then they started looking back at all these diseases that had occurred for the last you know four or five hundred years that they had uh, documentation on. They're right. like, well, holy crap, this explains about thirty percent right. of those. People dying of cold right. and all kinds yeah. of stuff, you know. Right. And so, right. if you look at this, you know, the the theory that you've got here, um, I, I think it right. I think it actually explains a lot of things. It explains one of the reasons why it takes so long for a government to change and to start doing things differently. Right. So I I actually think governments, right. you know, they they kind of turn the start to turn the ship about twenty to thirty years after the population is no longer in sync with them, and so there's a risk there right. during that time period of a revolution or a civil
1: war. Exactly. Yeah, there's risk of uh, in discontinuity or uh, instability, right? Sure. And uh, yeah, that's what we saw with uh, the election of Donald Trump. Uh, you know, the the mass the mass media was in postmodernism or post reality, and uh, we were here in uh, in hypermodernism or uh, hyper reality. Hyper. And uh, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, this idea of an uh, individual as a medium. And, uh, and yeah, uh, yeah, now they're trying to
3: kill it. Now they're trying to kill it.
1: Yeah, they are. They are, they are trying to put, um, you know, probably one of the older analogies, but they're trying to put Pandora back in its box. Um, I don't see that happening 100%. I mean, you are seeing that you can kind of legally harass the alt-right. You can, you can put them out of work, uh, you can dox them, but then Germany, Germany goes. A, Germany goes to the uh, alternative for Deutschland, and uh, you had in Sweden now, where the. Uh, in other words, every European country you're seeing is that uh, the far right is becoming kingmakers, if not outright king. Uh, and yeah, uh, in other to have words, a major impact. Absolutely, absolutely. So I mean, in other words, this idea now of uh, of the, this left paradigm of defeating the right organizationally, uh, is starting to kind of be sublimated in the face of in the face of pure aesthetic or uh, self-conscious irony. You know, it, it may have right. started on Facebook or, or wherever it started, but uh, it uh, yeah. Uh, how much time do we have? I wanted to get in one more well, thought. I mean, I uh, just. Uh,
0: well
3: we we're, we're getting pretty low. I was going to let you make it real fast, like in the next couple like in the next 20, 30 seconds, and then I wanted to hit David real quick and let him get a hit in there and maybe ask a quick question that we get, and then then we're probably out of time. So go
1: ahead and, and you get him another 20, 30 seconds. Oh I, oh: I got you. So yeah, we've definitely I think we've gone on more than a tangent uh, in the last half hour, 45 minutes. I think we've gone on a whole arc. But uh, your uh, your original, your kind of uh, intersectional, your um, inflection, uh, your inflection point or your inflectional question was, uh, you know, what is alt-right in light of postmodernism? <laughs> uh, what is, you know, what is their relationship there? And uh, I had mentioned, you know, that postmodernism began as uh, unironically spiritual as, uh, you know, Marxists realizing Marxism had failed and that... Uh, that the critique, that Marxism now needed to reinvent itself as a spiritual critique of uh, materialism or consumerism. Um, You know, all in the 90s and the early 2000s and the 80s, it was not clear to the average person, the pleb, the plebeian, that postmodernism uh, was in fact spiritual. I mean, it all came across as... it all came across as uh, postmodern nihilism, existential deconstructionism, materialist right. deconstructionism, and you know the average right. MTV, since MTV watching Simpsons watching, uh, you know movie theater going, no fear bumper sticker, had no idea that postmodernism, this very thing that attacked uh, Christianity and and fundamentalist or fixed values, in satire. Well, with actually a spirit. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, well, uh, as
3: you say, it's actually a spiritual movement. So, so. Yeah, ex- I mean, that's what you're yeah. going to say. Oh, correct. Okay. Well, I, I hate to cut it yeah. there. I just want to hit with David real quick. Are you with us, David? Yes. You want to, you, got, you um, got something that you want to throw in there real fast? We're down to about a minute or so.
0: Uh, yeah, on the intersectionality of, like, uh, yeah, I think that communist. Commun- that's why Hoppe is right about communists that you can't share a society with them, and you must physically remove them uh, from a. Uh, especially if you have a, any type of social order, uh, libertarian or post-libertarian, yeah. because then you have so them manipulating the situation. Okay, that's it's a good, good point. And David. Appealing to appealing to, so, their, appealing to their slave morality. Yeah.
3: Right. Well, I guess we're going to have to, we're going to have to end on that. note. you get the, la- you get the last comment there, David. I want to thank you, uh, Kasha for coming on. And, um, and I'm sure I'd love to have you back again down the road. I think that it'd be awesome to have another show where we can discuss this. It's a, I think it's a very deep topic. Um, also I wanted to give a quick shout to Jared Howe. He does a podcast called so to speak and, and, uh, you should give him a listen. Uh, I think he, he does a great show. Uh, so we're down to about a minute and a half. I want to say thanks, Kashif, and thanks, David. We're going to wrap it for the night. So you guys uh, take care, and we'll be back soon with another podcast, and we'll be back with you, Kashif, uh, real soon.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Much appreciated. Uh, have a good night, gentlemen. You too. Have a good night to you.
3: All right, David. Yeah. Take care, bye.
1: Uh, yeah. All right. All right. Good night. No. Mm-hmm.